0: I believe in Christ, he is my King, with all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue and
1: Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord on our behalf. Each of us should have a burning
2: desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence, we are urged to search, feast, and ponder.
0: If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, Please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended.
2: Welcome to Go and Do. This lesson will cover Mosiah chapters 4 through 6, the continuation of King Benjamin's speech. Today we're joined by Dave Dean, and this is another episode which we've had to record remotely due to social distancing precautions. The audio isn't the greatest, so bear with us, but the message is the same, and we hope that you enjoy it.
1: Yeah, This was, it was, uh, as far as the lesson goes, it's a pretty short lesson, but it's full of so much, information
2: well it's kind of interesting because he this is a continuation of his address to the people but it points out that the first part were the words given to him by an angel and this is no longer that this is now him kind of saying that's the message the the angel wanted to give you through me and then they kind of were like okay Now that we've heard that, we realize our wrongdoing and we want to plead for forgiveness and purification. And then he kind of goes into his own words from then on. Um, Not necessarily exactly what the angel told him to say, but kind of what his impressions are. The other interesting thing about that is they were pleading for forgiveness and purification, but who are they pleading to? They're not asking him. They're speaking to him, but they're not asking him to forgive them and purify them. I think it was more like generally they they started to feel that it was time to change. And maybe since they were all in their individual tents and all of that, maybe they started praying, you know, and started even just personally. And in the scriptures, we get this report that they all started doing this. I, I don't picture like a big mass of people like loudly pleading for forgiveness. I picture it more like, A realization, um, uh, maybe a discussion as a family, and then prayer, saying, you know, we've heard a lot of important things and we want to be better. We want to change. Please help us do that. That's kind of how I envision it.
1: Well, I I also think, as you were talking, I was thinking about how how much King Benjamin, he lived the teachings of Christ, but he pointed people to Christ, you know? He didn't take the glory for himself. He didn't, although the people loved him, he probably had, he could have if he wanted. He probably had all opportunity to not labor by his own hand, to go up there and tell them how great he is. No, he showed them through his actions, and then he pointed everyone to Christ, which is a good sign. Like, it's a good example of what a prophet or a a leader, a Christ-like leader would be. I thought
0: that was interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, he throws out, um, he challenges them basically to become a covenant people because he challenges them to believe in God, believe that he created all things, believe that they can retain a remission of their sins, believe that they can repent, believe. And he kind of just throws out just this whole list of, here you go, this is what I think you should do. And I think he knew he was close to dying. I mean, it says his body was weak and, so I mean, he kind of knew he was getting up there, and that was his challenge to the people: was believe in God, believe all these things. That's how I became who I became. So please follow and go believe and learn on yourself. And like you said, Daniel, I think everyone was in—you know, their family groups or their wards—and we're sitting there going, "Okay, now let's let's do this. Let's follow the prophet."
2: And I think he points out, you know, that. God is not a God of wrath and damnation.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, he's good. He's wise, patient, long-suffering, trustworthy, and generous with salvation. He, he's trying to point out to them, you know, he wants you to succeed. He's cheering for you mm-hmm. to succeed. It's not just, oh, here's this mortal trial. Good luck, suckers, you know. Right. It's like, Here, here's the mortal trial, and please use all the help that I have for you. Let me help you make your burden light, but you got to come to me. And that's probably the biggest key phrase from, from chapter four for me was in uh, verse 10. It says, if you believe all these things, see that you do them. One thing to believe it, you know, that's great. That's first step, but see that you do them. Make sure that you're actually carrying this out. Don't let it die in just these wonderful words. You know, don't just be impacted by it and be like, oh, that was that's so true, King Benjamin. Thank you so much. Okay, now do it. Do something mm-hmm. about it. That's nine times out of ten, I think, the hardest part, because we can listen to General Conference and we can read the scriptures and we can go to Sunday school and we can hear all this stuff and be like, yeah, that really hit home. Okay, so what?
1: I really like um, in the manual, the first the first section talks about, through Jesus Christ, I can receive and retain a remission of my sins. Uh, in the previous lesson or the previous chapter, chapter three, we hear you know, Mosiah three nineteen, for the natural man is an enemy to God. In this lesson, it continues to say, overcoming the natural man isn't easy. It requires great effort to become a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord. Sometimes we even have felt forgiveness of our sins. When you okay, sometimes even when you have felt forgiveness of your sins, you might struggle to keep that feeling and stay on the path of righteousness. King Benjamin taught his people how to do both: receive and retain a remission of sins, and live consistently as a saint. As you said, you know, I I find that how they how they separated into you know there's receiving, which is the act of becoming clean, and (coughs) retaining. Which I think is maintaining the habits that when you make mistakes, you'll continue to repent and be forgiven. And I think, I don't know, that retaining the remission of your sins, we hear that very much. That the initial change of heart drives these individuals or all of us to want forgiveness. But mm-hmm. Once we receive forgiveness and we taste the goodness of God. Then our heart changes, so then we can retain our remission sins. And I think that's—I don't know—that that really just sticks to my mind how important it is, and which also tells me how merciful God is. He knows, even like when you're baptized, we always say the thing: "Oh, you're clean. You've never been as clean as you are now." You know, you know we do all these things, and it's like that should be no different than every sacrament meeting you have, right? And that is retaining a remission. It's like you live your life in these shorter segments where you can auto-correct before you do something so detrimental, you know, and by always retaining, by always auto-correcting, not auto-correcting, but correcting every week, you prevent yourself from getting into the deeper worse situations (coughs) that would be harder to repent from, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that actually um, reminded me of in the bottom of that one, it talks about um, Elder Renland's talk called Preserving the Hearts of the Hearts Mighty Change, um, where he compares kind of the gospel to getting a heart transplant. And when you get the heart transplant, you go through drugs and other things to help you keep that heart because you're putting a foreign object into your body and your body wants to reject it and get rid of it. And so you kind of have to have medications to be constantly looking and monitoring to make sure your body's not going to get rid of it and reject it but you know there are some patients that become casual and don't care as much about the medicine as they should and don't go get their checkups like they should and you know their heart doesn't work as well if they're not constantly checking on it focusing on it keeping what they need to do on their heart it can prolong your life if you're watching it and checking it all. You'll make sure that you're, you're where you need to be.
2: Yeah. And it takes a certain level of humility, I think, because Mm. you have to be able to recognize within yourself what your weaknesses and what your flaws are and be willing to take those to the Lord and say, I, I want to be better. Please help me be better. (laughs) Right. Um, Acknowledging and recognizing that you're not doing a perfect job, and that that's okay, but that you want to be more like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, verses thirteen through eighteen, there's a bunch of examples of what he describes as someone who has had that change of heart. That they they do not have a mind to injure one another. They live peaceably, um, not suffer your children that they go hungry or naked. Neither will you suffer that they transgress the laws of God and fight or quarrel with one another. That you're willing to teach your children, that you succor and administer to those in need. Um, basically, it's an internal change that is expressed externally. Mm-hmm. It through your actions and through your deeds. It's not you know going back to see that you do them right. It's one of those things where you can have a change of heart, but it should be noticeable. It should be something that not only you know, but that people can tell. People can see it in your actions and in your behavior. He's different, or he's reaching out in ways he never did before. Or maybe if you've done it for a long time, even then, it's wow. How consistent is this this person? Mm-hmm. That they're always looking to help. That they're always looking to to be beneficial to those around them. And they're a peacemaker. I think that that's uh, you know a symptom of someone who's had a change of heart is that they're they're wanting to improve <coughs> everything around them.
1: Yeah, I find I found it interesting as well in, in verse four chapter four, how it um, in verse five it says, if the, the knowledge in the goodness of God in verse six, come to the knowledge of the goodness of God. And then verse eleven, again, that as ye have come to the knowledge of the glory of God. And it's like this overwhelming theme of like once you realize how God really is, how loving, how kind, how much he is in your service. And he uses his life as the example. Look at me who have labored with you. I have, I have fought wars with you. I have served you. I have done everything so I don't become a burden to you. Even though when all society says that I should be a burden, I should be the king, I should receive gold and taxes and all these things. And he kind of points the opposite, and then he says, "When you realize that the Lord is that like so good and kind, then you're going to want to do anything to please." You know, you're going, and that, and that's where like verse eleven for me it culminates with all of that because he says, "And I, again, I say unto you, as I said before, as you have come to the knowledge of the glory of God, or as you have come to." ...to have known of his goodness, and have tasted of his love, and have received the remission of your sins, which causes such exceedingly great joy in your souls. Even so, I would that ye should remember, and retain in remembrance the greatness of God, in your own nothingness, and his goodness and long-sufferings towards you, unworthy creatures. And humble yourselves, even in the depths of humility, calling on the name of the Lord daily, and standing steadfast in the faith of that which is to come, which... Was spoken by the mouth of the angels. So, as he says, you know, if you have received a remission of your sins, which causes such exceedingly great joy to your souls, why, why would that cause so much joy? You know, why, why do we feel the joy now? You know what I mean? Because our sins, most of them, we're not paying the price for them when we do them. You know, we all dread, you know, the 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 the. You know the final judgment, or or you know going and burning in, in in fire and brimstone forever. But why would knowing now that we have this opportunity, that we will hold, be cleansed and, and receive all the blessings of the atonement, cause, cause such exceedingly great joy? You know, and I I don't think these people were that wicked either, right? They they came to the prophet. They came and pitched their tents. You know, there were probably some who didn't come, you know. But these this is kind of like all those who want to come. And then even when they come, they still need a mighty change of heart.
2: I think that when he starts this speech, at first, like I said, he's he's sharing what the angel told him to share. And then he starts talking to the people. And I, I think he's taking this opportunity to address some of the things that... He might have noticed that they need to improve on. Um, and I, like you said, I don't think that these people were an inherently wicked people. They, they came to the temple. They had pretty good peace in the land. They had kings that were good people. I think it's more like, okay, we've been pretty pretty good for a while, but we need to be better. We need to become the people of Christ. And he's talking about, you know, how he's going to give them this, the name. And you're going to carry this name with you. And that is no small thing. You are now becoming his representatives on earth. You're now becoming his people. And to become his people, we got to step it up. We got to step up our game a little bit. And I think that that's a good, a good example for all of us. We might look and say, you know, yeah, I've got my weaknesses. Yeah, I do this and that, that I wish I maybe didn't do so much. Um, I'm a pretty good guy. I, I'm, I'm not a bad person. And it's like, okay, so what can you do to become better than just not bad better than just, you know, in a good, better, best scenario, you might be good you may even be better, but how do you become your best? And I think that's kind of what he's describing. You know, here's all the different things that you should do. Here's all the different things that you should uh, act like if you want to be eligible to be the people
0: of Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, it's kind of, I mean, it's back to the basics. He gets up and, like you said, this is him actually saying his testimony, his experience, not what the angel told him. And he basically teaches the plan of salvation. <laughs> we lived, we came here, Christ is our redeemer, we we have faith in him, we'll want to be better, we can repent. When you repent, we'll feel great. The Holy Ghost will come and can guide us. It'll help us go forward in our lives and we can treat other people kindly with respect, with understanding that they're brothers and sisters and we're all children of God and we're all in that same situation. So we can be kind and we can help each other and be there. And it's it's just an interesting, you're expecting, you know, at General Conference, we expect grand, (laughs) huge announcements. And... He's teaching the plan of salvation that's been taught by prophets for hundreds of years prior to this and thousands of years after. It's it's a simple plan.
1: I think also, you know, when the the section here where he talks about you will not, in, in verse 14, where he says, you will not suffer your children that they go hungry or naked. Neither will you suffer that they transgress the laws of God. And fight and quarrel with one another and serve the devil who's the master of sin, who's the evil spirit. This whole story of the Book of Mormon is two siblings fighting and quarreling with each other <laughs> and got out of control. Meaning <laughs> their kids and their kids and their kids up to the entire theme of the book. It's just one family rivalry. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's these perceived wrongs. And he's and and sometimes we like to think, oh, maybe that's the Lord's plan. And it's not. His plan is that you don't fight with each other, that you don't get along, that you take care of each other. One of the thoughts I had in this verse was how do you balance the modern viewpoint that sometimes you hear, oh, it's your kid's agency. They're just expressing themselves. They have to how do you prevent yourself from becoming a laxadaisical parent? And also, how do you prevent yourself from becoming a tyrant also? You know, because there's two extremes, right? You can be a tyrant. You can be way too harsh where you drive your kids away. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you could be lackadaisical and say, oh, it's their agency. It's their salvation. You know, the heck with them, right? And <laughs> and because it definitely, it's not telling us that in the scripture. But it also, you know, we also know someone like Lehi who was an amazing parent, but at some point he ceased to speak with lemon and Lemuel. He ceased because they were past feeling, right? Yeah. So, I think, I think I sometimes feel myself. I feel like I'm too too harsh, and I'm too scared of becoming too laxative. But then you end up being either too hard on yourself, you know, and so you have to. I guess the answer would be you have to follow the Spirit. You have to receive revelation.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, verse 15 says, but you'll teach them to walk in the ways of truth and soberness. You'll teach them to love one another and to serve one another. I think the job as a parent, as a leader, as anyone, is to teach them the principles. They'll all have their agency. So some will do it and others won't. Some will do it to a more degree than others because we're all at different levels in different places. But our job is to teach them the principles and the doctrines
2: it's really important to teach them through the example mm-hmm. to show them this is how you do it this is what you do this is how you love this is how you serve this is how you express truth and soberness mm-hmm. if you just say hey you need to go serve the neighbor yep. <laughs> you know their kids gonna be like I don't ever see you doing it you
0: know um, yeah that's interesting because the next verse right after it says that says yeah you'll go sucker those that stand in need of sucker You'll administer of your substance. You'll do those things. So and I yeah, think this it's, is it's a definitely an example.
2: Yeah, and I think this is a direct reflection of how our Heavenly Father treats us, right? He's not just saying, "Here's what you need to do," but He's also, in a way, saying, "Heavenly Father does not leave us hungry and naked spiritually, mm-hmm. right? He He does not suffer that we'll transgress the laws of God and fight and quarrel with one another." Everything he's done he's given us multiple opportunities to mm. learn what we need to do to correct our course when we get off a little bit. And yeah. I think when it comes down to knowing knowing when to be strict and knowing when to be lenient, we have to look to the Lord. There are times when the Lord reproaches when the Lord comes down and says, that's yeah. enough you know And I, I think a lot of times as parents we have these moments when, you know, your kids are kind of getting a little rambunctious, and you're like, it's fine, whatever, they're just playing. And then things get a little out of hand, and you're like, all right, that's enough. That's right? the line. <laughs> and I think knowing where the expectations are and establishing a clear expectation is really important for kids. It might be really hard. That's For me, it's one of the hardest things to do. I mean, my daughter's only three, so ex- establishing expectations with her, I mean— it's like, we, here's how I expect you to behave. And there's a lot of course correction there, you know. But over time, I hope that she'll she'll know this is what my dad wants of me. And that the times of reproach will only be when it gets really out of hand. <coughs> I think that that's kind of what he's expressing also, that our Heavenly Father acknowledges that we're not perfect and that we will stray from the expectation. But he's also saying, you know, he he's a good God. And he will always bring you back. He won't Mm -hmm. let you just fend for yourself. Mm -hmm. You have your agency to choose. You will make mistakes. You will go astray. And you may not even want to have anything to do with him sometimes. But he's always going to bring you back. And he's always
1: going to give you opportunities. So the, the last part of this chapter in the lesson, this really stuck out to me, this question that it asks. When it says verses 16 through 30, it says... How does sharing with the poor help us retain a remission of our sins? And uh, (laughs) it's, I don't know, that really, I don't know, that really stuck out to me because I, I think about that. I believe it's true, but I've never felt it been so directly told to us that it's part of retaining a remission of our sins. You know, we talk about uh, fast offerings, uh, uh, a gen- paying a generous fast offering, fasting, you know, uh, paying our tithing, you know, doing service. Uh, you know, we have Bishop's Storehouse. We have Utah Food Bank. We have all of these things, right? I don't know. This is one of those things where I see us in principle, it's <laughs> easy to accept. In practice, is much harder to do. Because King Benjamin gets in here into how we how we talk to ourselves. Do yeah. we stay our hand? Do we say in our hearts, "Oh, they put themselves in that situation," and then he even calls that out as you're in greater sin because you're coveting what you don't even have. <laughs> you know. So he's he's just I don't know. I just love the way he explains it. Um, but then he says, even in our heart, if we could we would is enough to be a good deed for us you know but if we hold our hand or hold hold from giving because we judge that person and you know what most individuals um, this sounds harsh I don't mean it to be harsh but a lot of individuals I see on the street panhandling or, or, or doing those things you could probably interview them and trace it back to one little bad decision led to another, led to another, led to another. And then I always think to myself, oh, you know, they'll just take a man. Oh, they'll go buy alcohol with this. Oh, they'll do that. <laughs> and I'm already rationalizing, you know? And that's why, because we all work downtown. We walk by these people all the time. That's why this really impacted me. And I'm just curious what you guys thought about it. Yeah,
2: I think the the kind of rationalizing because there's this guilty feeling when you don't give something but then you kind of say well I shouldn't feel bad because they probably I mean they're here every single day they could probably just go get a job I don't know their situation and to be starting to sit there and start judging how, the, how they're behaving I think the, what always comes to my head is Judge not, lest ye be judged. Mm -hmm. You'll be judged according to the way you treat others. And if you're compassionate to others, then the Lord will be a lot more compassionate with you. That being said, he also says, I say these things. This is in verse 23 and 24. I say these things unto those who are rich as pertaining to the things of the world. I say unto the poor, I would that ye say in your heart that I give not because I have not. But if I had, I would give. A lot of times I think if I give this person a dollar or whatever, it's not going to really make that big a difference. If I gave every person that I saw downtown every single day asking for money, some money, it, I would be poor. I'd be right there with them, right? Because I, I would not have any money. But I think what he's saying is if you have the means to make a meaningful impact, you should probably try and do that. And if you don't, if you are also poor, at least have it, the spirit to be like, if I had, I would, right? Um, and if opportunities do arise where you where you come across a, a way to help out, I think that that's important to do so. The other thing is, I don't think this is just material help. I don't think it's just mo- money. As as everything, there's a duality to this. There's a a mortal, physical, and a spiritual side. And I think he's always talking about. The spiritually poor, the spiritually begging, also, yeah. but there are people everywhere, even wealthy people, even people in our wards that are active, even in our families that are spiritually poor and are begging, and we may not even recognize it. Yeah, and we need to be just as generous with the, <coughs> with the gospel, and and that can be just as impactful as helping someone financially.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I just want to echo everything because I agree with. All of that. I think for me, I always looked at it as the monetary and I knew there was that spiritual side to it, but I don't think it really was ingrained in my brain until I went on my mission. And I served in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. That's a very, very wealthy area. And I had come from Podunk's Backwoods area in Washington, uh, (laughs) where most people lived in a single light if they had a house. Some lived in buses, and some were just out in tents. Um, so, coming from the poor of the poor to very, very wealthy area, um, a lot of missionaries struggled to do missionary work because the thought in their head was that they're rich. They're rich. They don't need anything. So they're good. They have everything they need. And it was just surprising to me in that first you know couple weeks just to see you no. Know, They're just because they have money doesn't mean they're happy. Doesn't mean they have everything they need. And anybody that you could talk to has issues in their lives. Might be completely different issues, but they all have issues and they all need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they get the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you'll see them rejoice. You'll see them feel that spirit. And then at the end of 26, it says, uh, visit the sick and minister to their relief, both spiritually and temporally. Yeah. And a lot of times you don't know, like you said, this, the spiritually everyone can do that. Temporally, even some of the rich people have issues. Sometimes you're in more debt than you can handle, and you're just as bad off as the poor person.
2: Exactly. And we're told by Jacob to f- first seek the riches of God, right? Mm-hmm. And that if you have the gospel in your life, you have at least some of that. And that's something that will never be exhausted. So it's not something that if I, if I share it with others that I'm going to have less of, right? Money is different. If I give my money away, then I might endanger my own family, Mm -hmm. but nothing about the gospel is finite. I I will not run out of testimony. Right. So why not share that with everyone? and, And especially those who need it most.
0: Yeah, and it almost it almost grows. The more you talk about it and help other people, the more humble you get. The more God blesses you, the more you feel the gospel in your life. The more you feel inspiration and revelation from the Holy Ghost of things you can do to help other people, and that's well, where you keep getting blessed as you open your big, mouth.
1: To people, a big um, a big lesson I took out of this chapter was how important your heart and your intentions are, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and at the end of this chapter ends with the scripture mastery verse 29 and 30, where it says, and finally, I cannot tell you all the things whereby you may commit sin, for there are diverse ways and means, even so many, I cannot number them. But this, I can tell you that if you do not watch yourselves and your thoughts and your words and your deeds and observe the commandments of God. And continue in the faith of that which ye have heard concerning the coming of the Lord, even unto the end of your lives, ye must perish. And now, oh, remember, oh, man, remember and perish not. And that's, I mean, that's, (laughs) it's pretty clear, you know. He's kind of just laying it out there that it's not (laughs) just, you know, it's not just your thoughts. It's your thoughts. It's your words. It's yourself. It's your deeds. And if you are not mindful of this, you know, meaning what what I what I get at, like I get the sense that sometimes we feel like like that Brigham Young story about the two or the three boys who carried the people over the frozen river, but there's one act, and then, and President Uchtdorf did a really good talk on this, and he says there's and, and he kind of just challenged it a little bit and said there is no one act except one act, which was the atonement. Mm-hmm. It guarantees all of that, and in our lives, I think we kind of we look for big things. Oh, oh, when the when the prophet says we need to pack up and go back to Missouri, that's that's I know then that's when I'm gonna you know that's when I'm gonna turn it on, right? Or when this happens, or when that happens, and it's like no, all of this is gradual. It's every day line upon line, little bit by little, and before you know it, you have you know built your house on a firm foundation. And, and I don't
0: know, I just, I really like that. So uh, Elder Dallin H. Oakes in, would have been October of 2000, gave a talk entitled um, The Challenge to Become, where he says that um, unlike the institutions of the world that challenge us to know something, the gospel of Jesus Christ challenges us to become something. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. We can know a lot of this stuff. But it's whether it actually comes into us and changes our actions, changes our thought process and changes who we become.
2: Yeah, in verse 27, it says, see that all these things are done in wisdom and order. For it is not requisite that a man should run faster than he has strength. And it kind of goes on to talk about how we should be using diligence. So when, when it mentions watch yourselves, you know. Be smart about it. There's a there's a wise way to do this, and there's an orderly way to do this, and you shouldn't have to. Like you were saying, you know, there's no one big thing you can do. There's no. Um, you it's shouldn't. No shortcut. Yeah, but also, <clears throat> it's not neat that you should run faster than you are able. Right. So what does that mean? Like, there's a balance there between. You can't shortcut things, but also you need to be, be aware of what you're capable of and that you may have a slow growth and you may see other people that have a faster growth Mm -hmm. and that that's okay. Sometimes people are going to get, uh, what looks like a bigger reward, but, or, or bigger outcome, but the reward will be the same if you're diligent. And if and if you proceed and and don't get so caught up in, well, so and so from my mission, we got home at the same time and then he got married and had a family. And now he's a stake president. And what am I? You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is what how are you progressing spiritually? How is your relationship with the Lord progressing? Mm -hmm. Is it right for you? And is your progress the right kind of progress and speed for you?
0: One, it's the it's the comparison and the pride that gets in there that makes that challenging. Um, like you said earlier, you have to be careful what you give away because you need to make sure you have enough, can take care of you, can take care of your family, and then you can start giving out to others. It's the same spiritually or temporally. you got to make sure you're taken care of first. You have that foundation and then you can help other people
1: yeah well in um, chapter 5 the title of this section is called uh, in the manual it says the spirit of the Lord can cause a mighty change of heart and I really like the initial uh, paragraph here where it says it is not uncommon for people to say I can't change that's just the way I am in contrast the experience of King Benjamin's people shows us how the Spirit of the Lord can truly change our hearts. President Russell M. Nelson taught we can change our behavior. Our very desires can change. True change, permanent change can only come through the healing, cleansing, and enabling power of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of change. What did you guys think about chapter 5? Also, what do you think about that quote? That's pretty pretty (laughs) awesome, huh? It's a good quote. So that, well, now we get to the section where they felt all these things. And King Benjamin's trying to say, now that you felt all these changes, you need to commit yourself. Now it's a good time to commit yourself. And he starts talking to them in verse five. Are you willing to enter into a covenant with the God, with our God to do his will, to obey his commandments? And, and I, I like to think that these covenants, these things aren't new to them. I don't think King Benjamin is the type that he would save all this information till three days before he died, right? Or three years, right? I think he was telling them all along, you know? And maybe he just took this long for them to, you know, build all of this to say, you know what? Here. Um Because I think about us, you know, we've made covenants. And some of them are like when we were little, when we were eight. Mm -hmm. Is it the same then as it is now? No, it continues to evolve. That covenant becomes stronger over time and as we recommit ourselves to it. It's not a one-time thing. These covenants aren't a one-time sign here and forget about this and cash it in one day. It's You have to continuously prune it, recommit yourself to it well
0: to the to the quote that you said i've met a lot of people that don't believe they can change and say this is just my core personality this is who i am and i think a lot of it comes down to um, what we were discussing is do you have faith in jesus christ if you have faith in jesus christ you know that christ suffered and died that we can overcome and we can become better do we believe the words that were spoken by the prophet do we have faith? If we have faith, then we know we can change. Is it easy? No. It'll take time. It might <laughs> be a slow journey on change. But if we believe the words which have been spoken, then we let the spirit of the Lord come to us and then we can change. I
2: think it's really important to notice that those that change is never imposed on us. Mm-hmm. And neither is neither are the covenants. This is not something that is forced on you. It comes from you. The change happens and you either acknowledge it and act on it, or you just you, you dismiss it and you say, Yeah, I I it's too hard. I I can't make those big changes in my life. And the covenants that he's saying, you know, enter into a covenant. You actually have you go in to it. It's not something that a covenant comes and gets you. You know, <laughs> you actually have to agree to to the terms, and the Lord's terms are His terms. But you have the right to disagree with them and not enter into that covenant. Um, you have that freedom. But I think usually both sides get something. Promises are made. Um, he gets our willingness to serve and our our obedience, and. We get to take upon us uh, the name of Christ and we get to receive a forgiveness of our sins when we when we do what we're supposed to do. As far as, you know, this is how I am. I can't change that. I think everyone has moments like that where they're like. I don't know that I. I keep falling back to this. This must be how I am. This is how God made me or something. But even Christ himself changed over time. Even he improved himself, which is kind of hard to imagine because he was a perfect person. But even he had moments of temptation and overcame them. Even he had times when he became something new. The atonement was a huge change. And it's pretty hard to look at the Lord and say, I can't change this personality trait about myself or this characteristic about my behavior when he went from being a a, a mortal body to becoming an exalted being. you know, And he's like, no, you want to know about change? I went through the biggest change there could ever be, and you can too. And there are no excuses.
1: I, I think a lot about this when it comes to... Um just in the practical business world, you you hear a lot of times like, when do you know that you need to let go of an employee? When when are they not redeemable? When can you fire them and stuff? And I know there's a there's a leader we all know that we, kind of says this a lot to us because uh, because we kind of know each other, the three of us. He kind of explained how he's willing to always work with someone if they are willing to try and if they're sincere but when they give up on taking accountability
0: yeah
1: and that's kind of when you know you know and and I always think about that and I think about it in this and you think we we look at our progression as like we have to have the right velocity and direction and vector and like the velocity is you know speed over time right and we're trying you know, and if I'm going 50 miles an hour, I'm better than you because you're only going 30 miles an hour, you know, and I'm better than you because I'm on a straight freeway and you took a couple like swervy paths, you know, and the parable of the laborers kind of shoots all of that thinking down to say some of you will be there all day long. Some of you will come at different hours of day the- and some of you may come at the last hour. And you're all in you're good to go and it's kind of like what President Holland said you know uh, when he said <laughs> who was that famous quote where he said something like you know you drink a, a, a batch of sour pickle juice every time something good happens to someone else because you think it's somehow detracting from you you know and uh, and I think we kind of can do this to ourselves. there may be some things that we struggle with in this life, that all we can do is face in the right direction. And there may be other things that we've been able to overcome and change and we start gaining talents and multiplying those talents and we're running 50, 40, 70 miles an hour in that direction and that's good. But I think what the Lord wants is he wants the disposition. He wants our true desire and most of us, we sell ourselves short. We don't know what we can really give until we've committed ourselves to give everything we have. And we'll find that, you know, maybe it wasn't 10 miles an hour. Maybe it was two. Maybe you're going to have to go at two miles an hour. But that is two miles better than if you would have decided not to give it your all.
2: He tells them to have, after they make the covenant. To have Christ's name written on their hearts so they can retain remission of their sins. Retain his name written on your hearts so you can retain a remission of your sins. It's that retain word again. It's that trying to go back to it again and again and again. And I think it's that darkness can't reside where there's light. And if you are constantly trying to remind yourself to be thinking and feeling, what would the Savior do? Or what's the best option? Or how can I be more? A follower of Christ. As, as long as you're reminding yourself to do that. And then you're acting on it. You will avoid sin. Um, and we all have moments when we slip up. I mean every, we're mortal. But when you go back and you say okay. Uh, I need to fix this. I need to rewrite that name on my heart. Or recommit to this covenant that I've made. That gives us a chance to, to chase out the darkness in our lives. And I think that's. An ongoing thing. If he's if he's there, there is no room for sin. If we're occupying our time doing good and serving others, then we don't have time to do bad things. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of that's just decision making. And then at the beginning of chapter six, it's really interesting to me that um, he actually took down names. Right? <laughs> I mean, wrote down the names of those that entered into the covenant. And that's something that we do in the temple, right? Uh, we do it in baptism. When there's ordinances, we make a record of it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's Part of it's just so that we don't repeat ourselves or so that we make sure that everyone knows that this has been done. But it's also, it, it shows an, another level of commitment, right? I'm not just going to do it and then be like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. you know? No, we have a record of it. And he made a record. He wrote down the names. He didn't leave them high and dry either. He then appointed priests to go and teach them so it was like let's make a record of who made this covenant and then let's follow up and make sure that they have the support they need to carry it out um, I thought that was really interesting that he went through and wrote
1: down those names the last verse in chapter 6 really stuck out to me when you know king now it's Mosiah he's now the king right and he caused his people they should till the earth that he himself did till the earth and thereby he might not become burdensome to his people. That he might do all things according to that which his father had done in all things. So he's just following his dad's example. You know, and that really, I really like that because, you know, King Benjamin, again, even after he's gone, his impact remains, you know, and it's not just, that's, I don't know, you know, where, you know, we're, you know we're, we're warned that there will be false prophets, false Christ, and, and antichrist, and all these things, but by their fruits, you shall know them. And it's really easy by the example of these prophets, and even our modern prophets. If you study their lives, you get to see that they really mean it. Um, and that's, that's so much different than leadership we see in the world leadership that we see in the world, it's all about plausible deniability, what can I get away with, what kind of scapegoat can I have ready in case something happens and, uh, and these guys they just, they're pure, you know, they're, that's why they're holy you know, they, they give you you know, the truth I don't know,
0: Honestly, no, it's been good discussion, I just was reading again, I think it was the end of five in verse 13 it says for how knoweth a man the master whom he has not served who's a stranger unto him and as is, and is far from his thoughts and intents of his heart and just just you know king benjamin in his final days is giving a sermon and is just teaching the people of jesus christ and of the love that he has for them and how we can each become better um, And you're just listening to his testimony and it's just the thoughts and intents of his heart are you following those do you know whom you're who you're following um, are you becoming that son and daughter of god that that he challenges us to become to take on the name
1: it's interesting in 11 how when it says you know you're going to get given a name and all this stuff that this is a name that you should be given unto you that never should be blotted out except it should be through transgression. It's funny because it kind of reinforces what we've heard about the Lord through the Isaiah chapters, that the Lord keeps his promises.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's saying, you know, we're making a covenant. You're going to give get the special name. You're going to become children of Christ, basically. And that will never, ever change. He'll never turn back from that, except you can decide to turn away from it. You know, and even then, he will recover his people again. His his hand is stretched out still, right? We have all these other examples. How he says he yeah. he he will do everything, but it's. I I thought that was interesting that, um, we're you know, to people or into us, it's very. We're so used to, especially in our day, you know, the fine print, the terms of contract you get 74 emails every day we've updated our terms of agreement with this certain software you use or this whatever or there's a recall just so you know there's a recall and uh here you go so we're not liable you know it's all these things and with the lord it's like this will never be blotted out it's a totally different way of doing business you know it is The Book of Mormon
0: is truly the keystone of our religion and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do
1: what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to
0: the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers
2: and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the
1: covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come
2: follow me.